Jacob, I have a question for you. You gave me some homework. I did it. Now I have a question. And the question is, who do you think's the better person? Hamilton, as in Mr. Alexander Hamilton, or Eliza? Who's the better person? Eliza Hamilton or Alexander Hamilton? That's my question to you. You're welcome. You didn't expect that. Uh, no, I didn't. You know, I did give you that homework. I, you know, that was my homework for the whole team. Every team member that has not seen the phenomenon that is the Hamilton musical must be because I sing it all the time. And I'm like, we gotta ha- we gotta understand these references mm-hmm. when they pop up. Um, but I mean, I don't know. I feel like the obvious answer is Eliza, right? Because she's of course not, it's the obvious answer. Well, she didn't cheat she's on a her woman. husband, right? She did. She outlived him by like a, like a whole other life. Uh, she's the reason why he was even remembered anyway. Because I don't know what's cool about the reading the biography after seeing all of that. Okay, is the all the little details that come with it, like, and all like kind of the nuance to it, because it's, it's interesting, you know, they, they, they put that forth, right. It closes with her and her telling the story and, you know, being in the narrative and everything else. But what happens is she ends up. So he, when he like towards the end of his career, like he kind of gets ostracized, right. He gets pushed out. He, you know, he eventually, you know, he's never going to be president. He just kind of goes to the wayside. He has, uh, he gets progressively kind of more depressed, so to speak. So he kind of like retreats from the public eye. He still writes, but he kind of retreats a little bit. Um, and then, you know, eventually his whole thing with Aaron Burr happens. But the what ends up happening, though, is, you know, Thomas Jefferson, like, was such a twerp, man. Like, like Jefferson was like the biggest bully <laughs> on the planet and, and hated Hamilton. So they... I mean, they they kind of just pushed Hamilton off to the side, like despite the fact that he, you know, wrote the majority of the Federalist Papers and, you know, he did so much, he created the banking system. I mean, his fingerprint is everywhere in the blueprint of America. You know, right. he's really not the anything that anyone sees as a founding father, right? Like he's really kind of like the outcast of George Washington and all of these other people. So um, what is really interesting from the book perspective is Eliza kind of keeps his name there, right? This woman who deals with this massive betrayal from her husband decide, you know, essentially forgives him, but then goes on to sing his praises and, and correct the history that people were putting on him and uh, lives out this whole life. But then she lives so long, she ends up being one of the last people of that time. So historians are coming to her at the edge at the end of her life to ask about all of these because she ends up being one of the last like firsthand accounts as America is kind of moving off into its next stage, which blows my mind that she lives, she outlives everyone. And like, as right. she's like the, the propri- proprietor of like all of these stories and stuff as a primary source. So, I mean, that is, it's hard to say that she's not the better person. I do really love Hamilton in terms of, uh, you know, he was a little bit obsessive, uh, to like a huge degree. Like, I think you have to be to write that much, right? Um, yeah, Jacob, tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and he's you know he's kind of arrogant and stuff like that. So I you know there's there's pieces of his personality that I find a kindred spirit to, being very one track mind. I do not think I come even close to that level of obsession about certain things. You know, I, people know that I'm an avid gamer and I, I spend a lot of times not working. Um, and I don't think he did. I think that's literally all he did, um, unless he was cheating on his wife. But, uh, you know, there, <laughs> I don't know, but I have to add, before we get into the intro, I have to ask, what'd you think? This is, we haven't talked about this. Was it, was it worth all of my hype or were you like, meh, it's okay. Yeah. No, actually, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a history major, right? I'm a double major. Mm-hmm. So I enjoy history. always have enjoyed history. And I'm very patriotic for our country. And so anytime I watch anything that involves that group of people, it it moves me to tears because of, and anything, like even like when we study or when I learn about NASA and the space race and anything like that where people, uh, explorers, you know, Dr. Ballard and finding the Titanic, any of those kind of people who are, who are, um, driven as you said but brilliant and use their brilliance to better man i think is just amazing i just think that is um it moves me always has so yes i was moved by the by the show i enjoyed it i really liked the character who played uh uh king george i thought it was yep. perfectly he steals the show. done he steals it. he, it's it was well done and uh he uh i thought he did a great job and he he caught maybe not the exact words of king george but he did get the feel of the time so i felt like it really caught the the feel of that time the emotion of the time uh which is what poetry and stuff does so i enjoyed it yeah and there's the like i said I, we could probably do a whole show on this i in terms of creativity this is where it gets me like i'm not a, like i I like broadway and musicals like i i'm I wouldn't, well, I, love I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan, but, you know, I, Hamilton appeals to me for a variety of reasons. You know, I like hip hop and I like uh, history and I, I, I like just great story and whatnot. But it's the it's the layers upon layers of creativity in it. And as I've heard it multiple times through just listening to of the soundtrack and watching it um, a few times and reading the bio, it's just there's there's it's literally one of the greatest things that I've personally seen that. It just, it's one of those things that I, I watch it and I go, I will never be able to do anything like this. <laughs> like, I, I gotcha. It's well, just, he, he, he captured and the guy he wrote the music with Lin-Manuel, like the guy who kind of helped uh, put all of the pieces together, you know, just listening to them, how they did it. It's like, it was, it's just a, a freak thing that just happened to work. And you know, that he blended so many things together in a way that sounds like it would never work on paper. And it, it turns out to and be it phenomenal. Did. So, which is amazing because he had that vision. But, you know, of course, he's the one who played Hamilton. So he, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty cool. Um, now, I've always, I love stage. And, um, you know, I, I just, I love all of that. But anyway, I think what's fascinating to me is their use of the stage. The way they use the stage to create the emotion. And I've just always been fascinated by special effects on the stage. Because that is by hand. You know what I mean? It's not some computer generated. I mean, they may use computer and electronics in there, but I mean, it's not like, you know, where they 
put up a, an image or like what we see in movies. I mean, it's done right there live. And if something goes wrong, it's going to go wrong. But it's, I just always find that fascinating. I just always have. So pretty amazing. I thought they did a good job. Well, without going too much into it, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Craft and Giraffes. We are not a musical Broadway podcast. We are a workshop podcast. That's Pam Ochoa. I'm Jacob Chastain. We talk about anything as it relates to reading, writing, workshop. We both work at the same school. We both teach seventh grade English, and we love what we do down here in Texas. Uh, Today, I think what we're going to be jumping into is working with, you know, specifically with parents, but also broader than that, of just working with people who might not, who, who might subscribe to, I'm not going to say outdated, I'm going to say classic uh, processes of teaching, reading and writing, and how all of that connects to um, to when we're trying to help a student and someone might respond in a way that might hurt our purposes and creating a love of reading and writing as a means to get deeper learning happening. So we're going to dive into that. This question uh, was inspired by a listener who follows Craft and Draft and Teach Me Teacher. She is actually from the Dominican Republic. I've talked to her a few times, oh. but she's talked about how uh, school is where they are and the differences and how, you know, reading and the love of reading and writing is something that kind of comes secondary where she's at. It's not a big push. A lot of them understand that it's important, but it's just not really as ingrained. So she's, you know, she listens to the show and everything I, you know, I've said about literacy and you've said about literacy and, um, she tries to bring it over, uh, whenever she's at, her name's, uh, Emma Liz. I think that's how I pronounce it. I, I ask her every time I do interact. So I'm hoping I pronounced that correctly, but, um, she inspired this. I reached out and I said, Hey, we need a topic. And she said, let's talk about this. So I think that's fantastic. All of that and more on craft and draft today already Ochoa. So I think I have, I have a question back to you to start, to start this discussion, which is, um, we live in contentious times. Eyes are on educators and education in a variety of ways. Uh, parents in a variety of ways are engaged in education. Um, because of a variety of issues rising up in the world and whatnot. And so it's it's really obvious to say now more than ever, teachers should be, you know, working side by side with parents and, and creating an understanding to kind of create a, a community vibe. But before these times, what would, what has all been your approach to um, not just like reaching out to parents about grades or behavior or compliments or any of that, but in terms of actually partnering with them on a curriculum level and, and on a learning level, where what has been your general philosophy about that? Have you been more hands-off? Have you encouraged them to be a part of getting kids to read and write at home or do homework at home? Or what, what's, your, what's your kind of stance on, on that and has it changed over time? Well, I think it changes from school to school, depending on uh, the needs. I've worked in in schools where um, the parents are there. <laughs> like one of the first times I was at one of our our uh, our non impoverished school, you know, because I worked over there for a while, and uh, I took the kids to the locker room to the lockers, and all their parents were there waiting on them as volunteers. <laughs> 
So that was like, so they expected you to interact. And so some of the things we did there with that group is uh, we included them in the writing and reading process. So uh, we would pair, you know, we would, the kids would take home more than one book and then they would talk about it with the kids. So, So I would encourage the parents to be a part of that in a journal system where they would include their responses and read with the kids. And so that seemed to be pretty successful. Uh, But I haven't always, that's not always been the case because when you're working with parents who don't have that kind of time due to the fact that they're working two to three jobs, that makes it a little bit different. So it's more of me reaching out. They usually ask, what do I need to do? And so I always encourage them to talk to their student or to their child about what they're reading ask them about what they're writing and maybe uh, share some stories with them so that they can get some background information about their own personal lives. And then that way the kids can use, use them. And also I think a portfolio system, I've done this too, um, uh, but a portfolio system where the, where the parents, the kids took their portfolio home and then the parents looked at it and made uh, a com- you know, made comments back and they the kids shared their growth with the with the with the parents or have a parent meeting I've had a parent tea so to speak done that too so I've done a variety of things uh just not as consistent as I would like to be sometimes I have dreams and then about these not dreams but you know like a vision to do some things and then just depending on COVID and other things like that parents are little distance, I think, this last few years is what I've noticed. You know, I we're going to probably take a roundabout approach to some of these topics, but I uh, want, you're mentioning like this portfolio idea. So I've had this vision for a long time, and it's failed every time I've had the vision. But I had this vision of having students um, – you know, we don't really have curriculum night in middle school, right? You know, we don't really – bring parents in to do stuff like that. You usually have meet the parents um, at the beginning of the year or meet the teacher at the beginning of the year. Um, and then everything mm-hmm. else is just like case by case basis, right? There's very right. little other opportunity. So I kind of wanted to help create those. Um, and I had this vision of setting up like a, a specific time, maybe twice or three times a year where students, you know, the parents come in and then the students literally just like sit with them and they discuss what's in their portfolios and their right. writing and how they've grown. And, I really love that vision of it and it's failed for two reasons every time. Um, The first being that we work at a school where a lot of our parents do work several jobs. So Mm -hmm. um, they do show up to stuff. They're very supportive. Um, But the more we ask them to do that, it actually puts more of a burden on them, um, which no one wants to do. Uh, And on the second thing is I have found that when I, because of the type of workshop I run and the type of writing that I encourage, um, and the type of openness that I value in the classroom, students are far more resistant to showing everything they write to their parents, right? They are, they, they actually have an aversion to it. They're far more comfortable talking with their teacher and, 
each other about stuff. But um, if a parent's involved, all, now they're very censored, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not because they're writing anything necessarily bad. It's because they're writing honestly. And sometimes that honesty is about their home lives. And sometimes that honesty is about what they've experienced as a kid. And even if you know you have the best parents in the world – you know, everyone knows that you can't just be a hundred percent honest with your parents sometimes because it's a uh, there's there, there's a million complicated things that can happen with that, um, especially kids that are living in situations that might not be the best. So right. students they'll they'll almost die about this and like and so a perfect example. Okay, um, we had our uh, ribbon cutting ceremony on our new campus. Uh, that was last week, right? <laughs> Yes. Yes, it was last week. So, um, yeah, this last week actually was Tuesday. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. It feels like Saturday. You know, it is. (laughs) Good Lord. Um, But so we had that, and a lot of parents who they use that as meet the teacher night. Um, But it was also, we had students from, or at least I did, but uh, who had, because you weren't there, but students who had come and, you know, they were older and seniors and juniors and whatnot. Um, but I had one student who I was, her mom was just, you know, she came up to meet me and she was talking about, you know, how do I know, how do I stay in contact with like the curriculum or whatever you're teaching? And I was telling her, well, we do craft and draft. So you can literally open that craft book every day and you should see mm-hmm. the work we're doing. Um, draft book, the same thing. And then the, the student later, she was like, Justine, don't talk about the draft book. Don't say that because she was like, you know, this is she was already we've only been in school for two and a half weeks. And she was like, no, don't talk about the draft book. The draft book is 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 mine. Right. And I think that's such a it's a cash 22 in some ways, because, of course, I want parents to be engaged with that stuff. And, you know, I I put on Twitter not too long ago. I said education is at its best when parents and teachers are working together to support the kids. I think, I think nothing goes beyond education and parents or guardians, whoever they're living with working together to support a kid. However, um, I think there's a lot of situations where the kid is not fully, uh, the, the, the relationship does not lead to that being productive. And I think that's a, that's an unfortunate reality, but it's something that we kind of have to take into account when we have when we embrace mm-hmm. an open form of writing. I don't know. Have you ever seen that resistance that they might be willing to write and show you something, but if yeah. if, if their parents or someone else saw it, they would be mortified? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why on the portfolio they get to to choose. So I usually let yeah. them look. You have the one yeah. portfolio and then another portfolio. Then you have another, and then you have the actual work. Yeah. So, but no, that's, that's one of the things I've seen. Um, there was one school I went to, it was in, uh, in one of our sister city, you know, t- uh, close cities nearby, but it was in a very impoverished area. And I just happened to be visiting, got, was it with a group that visited that? And they actually have ice cream socials. And then that's how they involve the the parents. The parents will come up for an ice cream social and they try to make it, you know, about the time that those parents are going to be picking up their students and things like that. So that's kind of a fun thing. I, I would like the parents to get more involved if we could. I think um, I like to do uh, where the where the kids get to interview one person from their family and then they write their story. I think that's kind of... Uh, kind of a neat thing too, if you can get them to do that. But sometimes it's 
you just have to kind of be flexible on those types of things. Uh, but I'm, you know, I, I use the, our, um, learning platform. And when we were the other night, I was telling the parents that they could, they or their students could message me, you know, using that message system on that. If they wanted to get to, you know, ask me a question at any point in time. And I've already had, uh, you know, at least one student respond. And sometimes I have, uh, parents will respond to that. Uh, you know, I did the last two years. I mean, they're even still responding to me. So it's kind of a neat thing. But no, I want more parents involved. But at that other place where I used to work, I'm telling you, the parents were, you couldn't get them out of your room. They were always there, which put a lot of pressure on the teacher because they knew everything you were doing. And they also had a voice and uh, they didn't mind pulling out their their lawyers if they needed to, you know, those kinds of things. So, but I always had a good relationship with them because I think it's because I did include them. I didn't like hide from them or anything like that. I just, we just always made sure that I was in close communication with all of them. So, you know, I, there, we live in uh, litigious times, right? So we, you know, mm-hmm. everyone is, I'm, I'm, um, speaking hyperbolically, but right. But like, you know, a lawsuit is really only a couple instances away from all of us, right. In some right. form or fashion. And, and that's just kind of the way society is. But, um, I, I really do believe down to my core that a lot of problems not, you know, there, there's, there's extreme cases and there are extreme people out there and there are irate people that are irrational and angry. But I think the vast majority of people, um, especially parents, they all they want is what's best for their kid. The teacher wants what's best for the kid. No one really has an alternative agenda. You know, some people do, obviously, but we're the vast majority of human beings just want what's best for the kids in front of them or their kid that they're raising. And the more we can align our purposes, um, the more we can create those lines of communication. If there is confusion or discomfort or anger, even. Uh, I think we do so much better by our communities, by embracing those aspects. If you ever feel like you are in opposition to the people you are serving, something's wrong and there's multiple ways to fix that. Like there, I, I, I've had parents that have hated me (laughs) in my career. At least it felt like they did. Yeah. Um, I've told the story several times, um, about my first year. Uh, I'm not going to repeat that today, but I definitely was not, uh, good at communicating to parents all the time, but I've gotten better over time. And what's happened though, is I've had moments of conflict, Um, and it usually happens a few ways, right? It's, I can usually handle it by just straight up communicating and being open to the conversation and letting the conversation happen and um, understanding them and meeting them where they are, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And at times, I've had to have admin be a mediator, um, either because the parent was too irate to listen to me or I was too frustrated to not be able to communicate effectively on my own, which you have to kind of be, you have to be your own judge on that, right? You got to know when you're at mm-hmm. a point. Um, I had, I had only had one of those last year where uh, the admin, the admin had to jump in and it wasn't even bad. It was just, I was like, will you, I need your, I need your body in this conversation. Um, and then the, the extreme cases is that it just leaves you entirely and it goes to admin. And th- those are the really irate cases that, 
happen from time to time. But I think the vast majority in that first category of, of communicating, listening, and understanding that whatever they're mad at, they're mad because they're trying to get what's best for their kid. And I think that is, you know, in this, we're talking broader at this point, but in terms of like, we're talking literacy and workshop, you know, they're a parent might react in a way to where if we're talking about a kid, like, let's say like I call home and I'm like, you know, so-and-so is not doing their independent reading, right? They're staring at the wall, they're flipping pages, blah, blah, blah. And it's been about a week and I'm just calling home to see, you know, if you can maybe have a conversation about the importance of reading. I'm going to be doing this, but you know, it could really help. And then the parent might react, well, they're going to read 30 minutes a day and they're going to tell me everything they read and they're going to write a summary every single time. That process, while it might sound great to a parent, right, in terms of, well, they're going to do the work, it's counterproductive to what we're trying to do in workshop because what we're trying to do is we don't want to coerce students into obedience, into reading. We want them to realize that reading is wonderful and freeing and empowering and a a part of what it means to be a human is to have a literate life. Those are the things we're trying to get on the big concepts. So when someone Mm -hmm. comes in guns a blazing and says, no, 30 minutes a day, summaries, you're going to write it down. You're going to talk to me every day. That that's the stuff that when I think about partnering with parents, it becomes this communication piece about, Supporting their efforts, but also trying to educate parents on why that might be counterproductive. Have you found moments where you've had to speak to parents and and kind of educate on like about why not only what what workshop is, but how certain things might actually hurt the process of reading and writing? Well, actually, just Tuesday, a parent came in and said, now, I've been working with him, and I'm going to tell you that right now I've been doing pre-test with him and post-test with him, and I've been, and I'm really worried. I just want to make sure he does well and all of that, and I'm like, well, I mean, we'll take care of that here, and then, of course, you know, now that you've, you've seen me I write all over my board, right? You so really everything do. We're You're kind doing. of like a, a mad person. You know, I don't know you. <laughs> I know you've never seen. Uh, I don't want to derail you, but I know you've never. I don't no, think you've ever okay. seen Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Have you? TV I don't show. Know if I have. It's not. It's uh-uh. not really up your alley. It's very immature and inappropriate. But oh yeah, yeah. I only do yeah. mature things. Yes, trash humor. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> but there's there's a popular meme that it reminds you. Might have seen the meme. I can probably send it to you. But the main character, he has this, or one of the main characters, his name's Charlie. If people know what they know, what I'm talking about. But he has this. You might have seen it. But he has like this crazy look in his face. I think he has a cigarette in his mouth. But he has all of these red, red string red yarn everywhere, and he's like. And it's like one of those moments of like trying to connect the dots to everything and like the person's just gone mad connecting everything. That's literally your classroom. Everything connects and it's just words and graphs and charts everywhere and it's wonderful, but it's it's hilarious to see because I I, I didn't know you taught like that. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. I I write everything down. I talk to them and show them. So anyway, when this parent was in there, I was able to say, well, you know, you can see like right over here is I've been showing them how to respond to their reading. He doesn't need to be doing all these tests. I'll be taking care of those. But if you could just ask him how he's responding to his reading, maybe you can read a book with him and then you two both could respond that this is what it looks like over here. 
Now over here, this is where we've been, you know, coming up with ideas. So all of that is on my on my walls. And so uh so I was able, I felt like she was more toned down. She was like, Oh, thank goodness, but how are you gonna do grammar? And I'm like, well, you know, when we get to here, because I had all my ideas up, right? Because that's what I have up right now is all their brainstorming and things that we've been doing. And so then I said, once they pick a piece, they're about to pick a piece, and then we're going to go back into it. And we're going to start teaching grammar and all of that, but we're going to do it in their piece. So maybe you can ask them a little bit about, you know, what did you learn today to help yourself with your writing? I mean, you could ask them questions. So I really think giving this the parents a list of questions and then maybe helping them, not a lot of questions, but you know, if they, if they want them, you know, maybe just have them available. Of course, now we have these learning platforms. So on my learning platform on canvas, I have a whole section about that's to the parents and it explains what's expected in workshop, what the students will be doing. And I didn't do it. I have a long form, but then I turned that form into a little poster like a little public service announcement. And it's like, what's expected in writing workshop. It's got little cute pictures of my, you know, my, my bitmoji or whatever, <laughs> you know, like I might be. And so it's got, it's got those little blocks to it, but it might say read and write daily, um, you know, question your text, whatever, but it tells you all the different things. Uh, use our notebooks every day, you know, our craft and draft every day. So it goes through and it, it, it explains it, but it does it in a visual uh, format, which I think will help with the non-speaking. And then of course you have to have a, probably a, you know, another language, you know, translated in there, which I uh, probably don't have at this point, but I have used that before where you translate. And then the other thing is, is I send group emails out uh, to let the parents know what's going on. So I do those things. So I've had, I would like, yeah, go ahead. no, I would like to though, your idea, it, Maybe we could create something where, you know, like a little tea or something and the parents can come and, you know, could do another one like once in a while. Just have them open. If they don't come, they don't come. If they do, they do. Anyway, go ahead. Well, and I mean, there's a lot. I have a lot of these visions that, you know, this is what's ultimately, I think, going to drive me into admin because I'm. I'm more and more thinking outside of my specific classroom. Um. I don't know if when I'll make that step or if I actually do. But like one thing I was thinking about is like we – so my first principal, um, Dr. Barty, she was fantastic uh, for me. Um, we had we, She had some struggles leading the campus and I think she would even have that agreement. She's not a principal anymore, right? She, mm-hmm. uh, she She's a genius in a lot of ways and um, sometimes just being the smartest person in a room doesn't always make you the leader that a campus needs you to be. But one thing she did for me was she encouraged all of my learning and whatnot, but she also had these big ideas about bringing parents in to not only like have like almost like a parent PLC to where they would come in and they did team building activities with teachers and to build those relationships, but they also learned about like what's being taught and, you know, kind of how things are being taught. And I, I don't know how deep that went. It was my first year. It was kind of a whirlwind. So I might be overstating what those were, but I think the, the idea is neat is imagine a campus that not only had meetings with parents, but invited them once a month 
Hey, come, if you want to know the type, what, what will help your kid at home, come learn some strategies from the teachers. Right. And then the teachers mm-hmm. can just share briefly, like, here's how you respond to reading. Here's how we write in class. Right. And encouraging parents. Hey, if you want your son or daughter to be a better writer, if that's where they're struggling, write with them and and share your pieces and if you want them to be a better reader read with them and talk about your reading lives and talk about what you think about as you read don't make it it's not a punishment it's it's the actualization of a reading and writing life it's the actualization of a, of a literate life right and that mm-hmm. bringing in parents into that process and and bridging the gap because one of the things that I don't remember what PD I was in but I had a really big realization that you know a lot of people assume a couple things when parents like when parents don't show up to things, right? Or if they don't contact or if they don't answer their phone. Right. You know, we assume they're busy, right? That's like kind of like the number one. If the kid is a kid that has issues in school often with behavior, you know, we assume that, you know, the the parent is maybe not neglectful, but isn't uh, fulfilling the needs of their kids. So there's a lot of judgment there. Um, but a lot of the time what happens is sometimes parents are disengaged from the educational process and everything because they had bad experiences in education. Right. They don't feel qualified. Um, our assistant principal talks about how um, it's common, you know, he's Hispanic and he says it's common in Hispanic community is to send your kids to school. And, you know, the that's that, that's their job, right? The school takes care of it. The, they don't see it really as there. It's not that they're against helping. It's that school's school, and that's where you go to do that, and they're just going to stay back because it's not their place, right? And that's how he's explained some of those reactions. And I've always thought, wouldn't it be transformative to invite all families in, no judgment, just come in and we can discuss you know, what's happening. And this can happen in any subject, science, social studies, math. If you want to get caught up on the, like, rather than ranting on Facebook about how math has changed and how math is so dumb these days, why don't you come in and let the math teachers teach you why they, or why this has, why this has changed this way and why this can really help your students if you understand it, right? Like those, Mm -hmm. imagine the transformational power in communities if we, invited every if schools became places of learning for everyone that we always we always say the kids should learn and we put so much pressure on teachers to keep learning and admin in in better buildings rights including ours like our admin is always learning they're always reading um but we rarely bring in that community aspect and i mean if you're working in a place where a community that doesn't have a good relationship with education that to, to build those talking about generational change too, right? Because it's, you're, you're changing the people have that, that, that negativity towards education lasts for generations and it lasts in small ways. They, they might not hate education, but because they're disengaged, they're going to raise people who are disengaged and they're going to do, I mean, that, it's it's generational poverty breaking, right? And and not just poverty in, in monetary value, but poverty in, in intellectual um, capacity, literate capacity, de- living in a democracy capacity. I don't know, I'm kind of ranting now because I got excited by the idea. Every time I talk about this, I get excited by the idea of opening our campuses to to more than just other people. I don't know what. How feasible do you think that would be to to start? programs like that. I mean, it would be challenging, of course, but I don't know. I just, I get, I get excited when I think about it. Well, I know that, uh, 
our sister, I keep saying sister today, I guess my sister's on my mind, but anyway, uh, the sister school Haltom, right. They do, um, they do no excuses university and a part of that system that they joined, um, has a parent information component to it. And, uh, their teachers are expected. I think they do it like don't know how many times they do it. I'll be honest, but I know they do it on a Saturday and they offer all of those types of things you're talking about on a Saturday and they bring the parents up and they have a really, from my understanding, when I talked to one of my friends that used to work there, um, they had a great response from this, from the parents. And so they have a really big partnership with their parents and they're very similar and, and, their dynamics as we are in, at Richland. So I think, I think you could do it, but I think you have to have a commitment. If you're going to do it as big as you're talking about, you would need to have a commitment from everybody. Kind of like we made that commitment the other day for the open house. Everybody was involved. You know what I mean? And so I think you'd have to have something really, uh, a, a big commitment is what well, it is. And this is why I said like, you know, I could probably force this, as a department chair, right? Like I could start this conversation, um, but I, I really do think like something that, that has to come from top down um, and it has to be something I, f- I feel like a lot of people might be resistant to this idea at first, including parents, right? Including uh, kids or whatever. But I, I think that uh, if modeled correctly, um, it could work. Another thing that comes to mind in terms of this whole partnership and not just direct partnership, but uh, thinking of partnership in different ways is Kelly Gallagher, um, I haven't heard him talk about it recently, but if I'm not mistaken, um, he runs a book club for parents and invites them hmm. into, you know, they just like pick a book. I don't know, maybe like once a month or maybe more than that. I don't, I don't really know. Um, but they, they have a book club and they meet, you know, however often, you know, and they read and they discuss. And so cultivating this literature reading community with parents and it's just parents, right? There's no kids. It's, you know, it's really nothing like that. It's just to create this kind of literate community together in a way that it's not, you know, it is academic, but it's also just, you know, it's, it's the reverse of, Hey, come to this meeting. It's let's, why, why, let's just model what we want to do. If we want kids to read, we should be encouraging everyone to read. And what's a good way to do that? That's non-threatening. Start a freaking book club with parents. Like I've always thought that was such a brilliant idea. And like, I mean, you could go the next step. Like for me, book club would be cool. I would love a writing club with parents. Yeah, that would be cool. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something we can do as a department, though. I think we could totally spearhead something like that because that's a little bit more concentrated. Yeah. I think you're probably right. So go ahead. We're ready to start it on. (laughs) (laughs) Waiting for you to get that approved by Monday. Uh, Oh, wait, we're not at school Monday. Tuesday, you got at least one more day. It would so it would be like something like that like would be really interesting to do because uh I don't know like it's stuff like this though so to to go back to kind of the the purpose of all of these ideas is I think that at the basic level just communicating with parents stakeholders whoever is good practice I think the way we build trust in our institutions is to open our institutions to the people we're serving right like that's an mm-hmm. obvious statement and nothing you know it nothing should be shadowy I don't I don't you know I'm not saying that like 
<laughs> teachers need to be policed and stuff like that. There's a difference between partnership and um, a, a dog whistling every five seconds, right? There's a partnership mm-hmm. is is a trust between two parties. And that's what I think is, is valuable. And I think you honor the work that teachers need to do and teachers should honor the work that parents want to do because it's their right to parent how they want and guide their kids how they want. Right. Um, right. but at the same time, our job is to educate students and get them kind of to the next level and where they need to be. So that that's kind of like the basic thing is building that trust going beyond that is inviting them into the learning in a variety of ways, educating them on, you know, what is, what is reading response look like? What is writing response look like? What, why might making your child read for 30 minutes a day and summarize everything they read every single night actually kill the love of reading um, and make them practice less? You know, it's kind of the same thing of a, Talking about whole class novels, you know, whole class novels are fine and dandy if kids are reading. Um, but if you're working with struggling students, they're probably not reading the books anyway. I mean, we've all gone through right. classes where we didn't read the books, which is why a lot of this. I read comes all of my books. I'm sure you did. <laughs> you know what's <laughs> funny is I, 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 I actually did. If I think about it, I read every text. Um, doesn't mean I liked them. Like I hated the great Gatsby in high school. I despised that book as a teenager. I like it better as an adult, but I actually hated that book viscerally, um, as a teenager, Mm. but well, my son, my son admitted that he made it all the way through his junior English AP class and never read one book. Yeah. Yeah. And he said that to his teacher. And so those, that's the part that where like, this is a similar thing. Like parents, you know, they might want to push certain things because they think it's correct. You know, teachers, if you've been doing this for a while, you know that like, you know, whatever force you have is fine and dandy. Kids are really good at faking stuff. <laughs> so <it's>, they are. <laughs> well, what's funny is like my son, he's an avid reader. He reads all the time. I've got on this shelf right here, I've got one, two, three, at least four books that he's given me that I need to read that I've read with him so that we can have conversations. You know, you, so. this, this is a derailing p- statement, but you and our principal are the exact same way with that. She, her son gives her books to read. Oh, is that right? As well. Yeah. Y'all should, you should talk with her about that at some point because I oh, bet I y'all should. literally have the same experiences. Like, cause yeah, every once in a while she was like, yeah, I read this cause he said it was good. <laughs> yeah. Well, most of mine is all military. So it's kind of funny. Well, um, so no, I just, um, I had a thought just a second ago, and I think if we were going to start something like that, I think one of the things we'd have to do is maybe survey the parents and ask them what they would be interested in learning. You know, maybe have some choices, kind of the way we're doing our kids with the clubs. You know, we have our students that are, we provide them Mm -hmm. with an explanation and then they choose. Might be kind of interesting. What do you think? It would be cool. And like, and this would be a way to kind of, maybe not have all hands on deck all the time, right? Like if we had, so our department, what do we have? Three, six, seven, eight core English teachers. So if we had eight teachers and we all kind of had our own thing that we wanted to do and just kind of split it up into either splitting up into topics or, um, pieces of learning that they could do. Like if we wanted to spearhead poetry writing, for instance, right. Um, that could be something that they get to choose. And that, that's something that re- meets like once a month. And I don't know. I think that would be really interesting. 
Well, you know, like at bookstore, when you said that, you know how at bookstores and sometimes they have readings where people come and they read something that they've written. What if you had something like that and the parents were welcome? And they could even share something that they've written or the kids could share, we could share. Be kind of fun, kind of a fun night. I do think though, if you can tie it to some kind of refreshment, it's always helpful. Food's always good. Food, Food is well, always because, good. Yeah, I mean, because if they're going to be doing that, if they could have a little meal and then that, then maybe they'd be willing to come. And I wonder if you could have some other stakeholders in your community that would, would sponsor a volunteer. Uh, well, if, if this was just parents, I mean, imagine if we did a thing, let's say school ends at four, let's say we did a thing uh-huh. at five and then for an hour, but at six o'clock, we hand you the stuff that you can take home for dinner for your family. Yeah, that would be great. Something like that or, yeah. Or anything like that. Or you come and eat and you have your own dinner. They yeah, can macaroni at home. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like have a spaghetti dinner or something. Yeah, I mean, see, the stuff like that, though, like, I think, I, I mean, think we used to this... do stuff. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you used to do stuff like this? We used to do stuff at the school that you and I worked at with mm-hmm. my other principal. We used to have spaghetti dinners, and we invited the families. We used to do that. So I have a video. It... I don't know if you mm-hmm. ever saw this, but we did a, a taste of RMS um, before it was it was to celebrate the last football game that was built on the field before they started digging up everything for the new campus that we're oh. now in. Okay. But a taste of RMS, all the teachers, it was like a they all made signature dishes and stuff. I have a video of this on Facebook if anyone's curious. It's like a big celebration. But we opened it up to the entire community, right? Students came. It was like they had to pay like it was like five dollars or something like that to like get in. But it's literally a line. You have a plate you just walk in a big line. You fill up your plate with all this food, and it was huge. There was the football game was going on, so that was happening. People wanted to do that. We could also come out and do this. We had, I mean, it was we had face painting, I believe. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff going down, and that was the biggest event that we had ever had, um, and something like that. And it was all because of food. And we had people show up that were the same people that show up for our ribbon cutting. The people that are like, you know, I went to. Richmond Middle School when, you know, back in the 60s. And, back in the 60s, yeah. And, and they would just share I stories. Think was one of them. Right. Yeah. No, I think that I think that would be a great thing that you could do. Uh, I, I, I mean, that's what we used to do at that, that school. But I, really, truly at the school where we were at when you and I first, when you and I met each other, I was there for four years before, you know, well, actually six years before that. And um, the first three years, that's what we did. We had a big, huge uh, uh, 5K race, and we did a a mile race, and then we had a carnival out on the football field, and uh, the community, you know, we just had had a good time. And uh, they marked off the area, and people ran, and and, uh, some people just played. We had all kinds of stuff, and we had a lot of people that would show up. So... It's kind of cool, but well, we I, didn't do it when you and I were there. It's so funny because I just, I think a lot of this stuff is so unique. You know, we do uh Hispanic heritage night at our campus. Um, oh, uh-huh. I think we did a digital one last year. We'll probably do an in-person one this year. If all things stay the same, since we're, 
Right. Everyone, you know, people are masking if they need to mask or whatever, but they're, they're here and we're in person and whatnot. Um, but that, that's always been really cool because they serve food and there's dancing and kids come and celebrate. And I mean, it's a huge, it's a great night and parents come and, um, we've also, we've done a variety of things, uh, like that. And one, the common denominator is, you know, if you offer food and to feed everyone, things usually turn out a little better. So it does. I just, I, all of these are good though. I mean, we've hit on so many good ideas and this is why I like this topic because, you know, I think we, we have this basic idea of what it means to have parent communication, but you know, I really do stand by the thing. And when I say parent, I mean guardians, anyone that's involved, but when I, 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 if we, we have to build trust in our institutions, we have, when we have to rebuild it, our institutions have, there's been waxing and waning of the trust in public schools. I would say that public schools, um, in certain sections and certain belief structures of America currently are completely not trusted for a variety of reasons. And I'm not even uh-huh. judging the fact that they're not, I'm just stating a fact, right? right. Um, And if we want to see public education thrive um, beyond uh, this, if we want to see salaries raise, if we want to see meaningful legislative change happen to make public education better, then people on the ground have to change public perception. You know, people talk about me wearing a suit every day, and it started with when Ron Clark said – Hang on. And he really does wear a suit every day. (laughs) I see him every day. Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) And then you see me when we podcast, I was wearing a t-shirt and a hat. He's not wearing his suit right now, but he had a really fancy tie on uh, Friday. (laughs) Nice, pretty purple tie. Anyway, keep going. They, uh, but so that that whole thing is one time is one small thing that I feel like I can do to demonstrate my worth and my value to people that see me. I don't think everyone should wear suits. I, I'm just saying it's it's a it's a thing that I do that I know I I, I but it's it's something that it it makes me feel like I'm doing something on the outside. That like when parents walk up to me, they're like, oh. This guy's wearing a suit, right? And so there, there is a there is a perception change, um, uh-huh. and and I, I think that's valuable. But that that's something that's small, that's cosmetic. I think uh, these bigger changes that we can make when we talk about building trust in our institutions comes with this partnership, comes with empowering communication, comes with just involving everyone, and I. I think it's vitally important. And I think, honestly, the future of public education is going to come down to this aspect. I really do. I think, you know, I I think that if if public education is going to survive the times that we are living in right now, educators on the ground need to do the work to partner with as many people in the community as possible um, to build that trust again, because it start, that's how it starts. But who do you think votes? These people are voting against their institutions because they don't trust them. How do you build? You don't build that trust by forcing legislators to do something. You build that trust by partnering with the people in your community. Mm-hmm. I don't see any other way around it. And this, right. thing, this should be an empowering idea. Because this is us. This is something we can actually do. There's a lot of crap we can't change in education because of right. legislative problems or the process that has to go through to change. We can change this. All we have to do is open our doors and change our ideas and make something happen. Right. 
I agree. And I, um, I enjoy when I get to meet parents and stuff like that. So it's really kind of cool. And I think sometimes we're afraid of them. Yeah. I think sometimes we're, we're afraid of our parents. We're afraid of being judged, but I think they're, they're probably feeling the same way you are. So I, I just, um, of course, you know, when I was younger, I was kind of, I was one of the ones that was kind of afraid of the parent. I'll be real honest because I hadn't had any children yet. I was in my twenties, early twenties. And how could I be I telling was early on for sure somebody? Yeah. What to do. But, and I, that's when I would get dressed down quite a bit, you know, here and there, I seemed weak, but I, I, I did this training. We kind of talked about this the other day. Um, with a new teacher that we we have at our campus, but uh, we brought up the fact that it's not personal. And so you can't take it personal and you just have to come with it from the perspective that this is your profession and you have to handle it in a way that is professional. And I think, like you said, beginning with informing them and being consistent with what you tell them is really a good thing. And that's why, like on my campus, that was one of the things I was showing uh, the students this week and the parents is where all this stuff is located so that they can find the information needed for my course. And so I think it's real important that we talk to them and communicate with them as often as possible. And then don't get upset if if they're not there, a lot of times they're not there because they really are working and they're just trying to hold it together. And sometimes they have that child. They don't know what to do with that child either. If there's a child that's resistant or something like that or not behaving right. So you just have to investigate. And, and, uh, but that's why I think the survey, that's a way of investigating to see what the parents are wanting and what they need and then meet them where they need as well. So that's one thing I was thinking. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Craft the Draft podcast. Good Lord. I feel like we covered a lot of ground on this episode. That's Pam Ocho. I'm Jacob Chastain. We're two seventh grade English teachers in Texas. We love what we do. We love talking about workshop, anything like that. This question was inspired by, or this conversation was inspired by a listener, Emily's. Thank you for reaching out and answering my back call of we need a topic. Please help. If you want to see your own topic featured or a question answered or anything like that, reach out to us. We will either cover it in a brief mention like we did last episode, or we'll take a whole episode like this to do it. We love taking your ideas and talking about them rather than just pitching what we want to. But if you enjoy this episode, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button, share this with whoever you are listening to. Y'all are blowing up the podcast. We are seeing so Mm. much growth every month, more and more of you are listening to the podcast, which shows that y'all are sharing and listening and enjoying the podcast. So if that is you, thank you very much. Also, if that is you hit that star button, those star ratings really do help in the podcast app. It helps with the algorithm. It has nothing to do with our egos. It really does have to do with, um, increasing the algorithm. So the Apple podcast and Google and everything else will push us a little bit higher up the charts. So more people find us organically. So it really is appreciated 
if you do that. This is Craft and Draft, ladies and gentlemen. We have a bunch of podcasts ranging from everything. If you're unsure about what Craft and Draft is because it's your first time listening, Craft and Draft is our journal system. We have several episodes about that, including an hour and a half walkthrough of what our journals actually look like. So go check out that. Check out our backlog. Ladies and gentlemen, have a good time. Hopefully you're enjoying the beginning of your year. I know some of y'all just started. Some of y'all are like us and have been going for a few weeks already. I hope you are safe, secure, and I hope you are building relationships with the community around you, ladies and gentlemen. But for everything else, know that we are here for you.